and that governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. Salutations, dear citizens, as we peer into the new fund order to discover the immutable truth for asset management and wealth managers. The lowdown from the dark side, the frontier and the fringe of asset management and fund research. In the air, on the ground, on the street, and around the corner of debate, like the podcast equivalent of an 80s Cold War spy film. Watching, listening, in the shadows, and on your airwaves. Podcast for wealth managers, fund selectors, distributors, and investors, bringing to you the People's Republic podcast of finance in association with my sponsor, Allianz Global Investors, capturing the world's market news, views, and interviews with leading minds in our industry. Solving the problems of civilization and hastening the coming of a universal brotherhood, a republic which shakes thrones and dissolves aristocracies by its silent example and gives light and inspiration to those who sit in darkness. Podcast 001, theme citizens, is Value Investing. And I'm especially pleased to introduce today's guest, Dan Kemp. Chief Investment Officer for EMA Morningstar Investment Management Europe. Dan describes himself as an experienced multi-asset fund manager and analyst with a strong track record across both conventional and alternative asset classes. He is indeed a well-known investment commentator and I've had the pleasure of many exchanges and conversations over the years about the future of fund research, selection, asset classes and of course today's topic about value equity investing. It's fair to say that Dan's background is somewhat interesting. He uh, studied a BA in theology at King's College London. He has held a number of roles, including fund manager, head of fund research at Williams Dubro. He was a multi-asset fund and fund manager at Saltus, then before moving as a partner at Abermarl Street Partners, before becoming co-head of investment consulting, and of course then chief investment officer at EMA at Morningstar Investment Management. And in these strange pandemic lockdown times, rest assured that all guests are calling in remotely. And it's great to have you aboard as my first guest on the New Fund Order podcast, Dan, and a Happy New Year to you. JB, Happy New Year to you. It's fantastic <laughs> to be a guest on our new podcast. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Well, I felt I had to start with someone particularly special. But you couldn't find them, I know. <laughs> read into that as you wish but um, (laughs) I felt it was a a fitting way to start this and you know the whole point of this podcast is really to try and dig into a number of the issues that you and I have had to contend with through our careers as fund allocators so with that in mind let's start with the, the first question Dan if we may life after death and as someone who has studied theology, Dan, 
is continuing to select value-style fund managers now more a question of divine faith, or are there still very good practical reasons to invest? Is there still a pulse? That is a great question, JB. And as, as ever, with deep questions, there's a lot of different answers, uh, different levels of depth we can dive in, and, and we don't have that much time, so I'll, I'll just spring straight in. And do I think there is still life in the idea that as investors, we should look for assets that will give us above a normal rate of return because they're uh, unjustifiably priced cheaply? And should we avoid or reduce our exposure to those assets uh, that look as if they're going to deliver a low return because their current price is so high? Well, absolutely. That is the basis of investing and ultimately all investing uh, that's uh, done over the long term uh, with some thought has a valuation element. The, the key is how you calculate that value, how you apply that value, and to some extent, uh, what your time horizon is for realizing that value. So if you're looking at a company that is currently very undervalued or an asset class that appears to be very undervalued, then that really tells you nothing about the returns over the next uh, days, weeks, and months. You're really thinking about returns over the next three, four, five, even 10 years, which if you're saving for your retirement, for most people, that's great. Uh, but if you're worried about what your performance numbers are going to be over the next month, uh, then it has no, no relevance. And so, yes, I believe that there is an enormous amount of life uh, left in value investing. I believe it's much more attractive today uh, than it was just a few years ago, but it really depends on how you're defining value and you're looking for from your investment. Apologies for the audio quality in the next segment. Turn up the volume. There's some absolute cracking insights from Dan. Yeah, but you were also chatting uh, to your own Holly Black a few weeks ago on Morningstar TV, and you said, I think we have to start with value. And it's, for some, been quite a dirty word, which I thought was quite an interesting use of phrasing. You know, because frankly, because, you know, so many so-called value managers have performed pretty poorly and you make the link because of that popularity that enthusiasm for growth stocks particularly technology stocks i just wondered if you felt that you know this was happening well prior to lockdown did big tech somehow break value well i think a very good question i i think uh, big tech has changed the way that people think about value because companies have fundamentally changed in the era of technology in general, not just. And so what we saw as you go back 10, 11, 12 years is really the, the, the most recent peak in value investing. And since then, uh, there's been much more of a focus on, uh, firstly, the stability of uh, earnings, the stability of growth as we went through the financial crisis, and more recently, the uh, possibility for uh, ever greater levels of growth, uh, ever greater levels of earnings and innovation. And of course, you can apply a, a valuation lens to all of these types of opportunities. But what may have changed is the way that we think about a company. And so in, in the past, where we've looked at a, at a company and they have to make a certain number of widgets, and they make a, a 
a profit on each one of those widgets. And so you can look at the how the margin will change, how the, uh, the capital they've invested delivers a, a return going forward. And what, what big tech has shown us is that we live in a world with much more leverage in terms of innovation. And so businesses can grow uh, and retain their margins at much faster rates uh, because they're not producing each individual widget. They're allowing uh, millions, in some cases billions of people to access uh, their system uh, and uh, they, they, can, they can reach those huge audiences and, and grow very quickly. Uh, so it's maybe changing some of the metrics that people are using, changing people's expectation about uh, mean reversion, but it doesn't change the fact that there is still a price for these businesses. There is a price for every business, there's a price for every asset that's really an investment asset. The question is whether, when you look at these companies now, there's so much optimism baked into these great business models uh, that they still look very expensive, even when you take into account those change in, in business models. And so I think, it, again, the rise of big tech, the, uh, what's happened to the capital markets over the, the last eight, nine, ten years uh, has, has shown us that uh, value can be broader uh, than, uh, than maybe people thought of in the past. It doesn't change the fact that we're still looking for value as an investor, even if it's uh, characterised in a different way. Yeah, but that, that got me thinking, Dan, in, in as much as tech stocks are gorging on both the innovation of those companies, the rising user base, and of course the, you know, to some degree, and I think it's an overused word in, in our society, but the exponential growth in terms of computing power. And I wonder if all that is happening so much quicker than the natural value cycle, is that part of the problem that they have become too short-term thinking in order to have the patience to realise, you know, traditional value in companies other than just tech growth stock. The, the situation is is actually, as you, as you say, quite complex because in some ways people are now uh, chasing let's call them growth stocks, uh, say value like technology stocks, because they've seen these recent very strong returns. And we call people uh, short-term focused. But if you think about uh, a technology company or the technology sector as a whole, uh, then some of the valuations now are so extreme that you can't be short-term. You have to be extremely long-term. You have to assume uh, that some of these technology companies will grow at their current rate, sometimes even faster, for an incredibly long period of time before you can justify your current valuation. And of course, one of the reasons people uh, think you can do that is because interest rates are so, so low, and so the more you back-end uh, growth and, and returns, the further you push it out and you discount it back by a very, very low um, uh, risk-free rate, uh, then you end up with these, these high valuations. So <laughs> potentially, uh, people, uh, if they really analyse why they're so enthusiastic about growth stocks, they're not being too short-term, they might be being too long-term uh, in expecting the world to just carry on the way it currently is uh, far, far into the Whereas you're right, but typically there is a cycle in popularity uh, that runs uh, for a few years, and things that were formerly popular become unpopular, uh, things that were formerly unpopular become popular because of uh, changes in, in the market. It might be uh, changes that are 
country level or in an asset class level, or it might be just changes in a, in a sector level or even some dominant companies. And so, yes, there is a, there's a cycle. And even over the last 10 years, we've seen a couple of these uh, cycles. So we saw uh, Russia, for example, go from being very unloved uh, to being quite popular a couple of years ago. We've seen Korea, South Korea, more, more recently, go from being uh, very unloved uh, as people worried about uh, the semiconductor cycle to, to now being uh, quite, um, quite popular over the last uh, month or so. We saw um, energy companies, high-end bonds, all these things have been through, through a cycle, uh, but as we stand today, of course, what we remember most of all is what's just happened, which has been uh, that rise in technology stocks, but, but most, uh, most dominating uh, for, for us has been that uh, rise in technology stocks since, uh, since the, the end of the first quarter and the, the onset of the, the, the pandemic. I wonder if, is, do you think the confusion, not confusion is probably the wrong word, um, inability, I guess, to perceive the rate of change relative to expectations as to when a, an investment should return, is the problem with the value fund managers or is the problem with advisors, fund selectors and wealth managers selecting value managers and not appreciating the nuances between, say, a, a deep recovery value manager and, say, something that's more you know, Buffett, uh, modern value, or even more towards Greenblatt, kind of relative value, are they not necessarily looking inside the tin enough? Well, I think it's holding on all of us to, to look inside the tin, uh, to look under the hood as much as we possibly can. But, uh, but I, I don't think uh, we can uh, primarily blame investors or, uh, or, or just blame investors for this, because obviously... Uh, what, what we've seen in the past is, I think, people using um, funds that maybe take quite an extreme uh, valuation-driven approach uh, as the core part of their, their, their portfolio, whereas in reality, uh, it was more of a niche strategy. We can, we can call out those, those names and funds, I'm, I'm sure. Equally now, arguably, uh, we have a concentration in tech and growth stocks, uh, which people are taking as their core holding uh, which they lasted probably in, in 1998, 1999, 2000, uh, which may not again uh, justify that core holding So these things do come in waves, of course, and people are influenced by recent past performance. They are influenced by this idea of extrapolation that uh, how things have been in the recent past that can carry on forever. But, but I think the industry as ever um, has to uh, carry a degree of responsibility that we have to acknowledge what type of uh, markets favour our type of strategy, what period we're looking at for investment, what period we're aiming to make our returns, uh, and how uh, we'll be judged as as well, or how we want to be be judged. So I I think it's so important for investors to understand what they're buying, but so important for um, uh, for professional investors to explain what it is that they're doing um, when it's likely to do well and when it won't do so well. And that kind of segues quite nice. You were also talking to Holly about the, I guess, the active-passive paradigm, um, to give it some dramatic uh, emphasis, but also how in index investing and ETFs have been changing the game to some degree for value investing. Do you feel that the, the fortunes of active management as a whole 
are somehow strictly linked to volume investing. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's a really, really important point and one that's probably not talked about enough. And I'm really glad that you've raised it because it goes back to my first comments about to some extent, uh, almost all investing is, is value investing if you're taking a, a long-term uh, approach. So obviously we have, we have momentum traders and things like that, but it's, you know, if you're actually thinking about um, why you're investing in a particular company, which is class plus, uh, then there's some amount of value. So when you're taking a cross-sectional active managers, then typically they are thinking about, about value. So in, in that sense, uh, value is more likely to be um, part of their investment process. Even if, as you mentioned earlier, they're looking for relative value or uh, undervalued growth stocks. So there's all different ways that you can think about value. But, and so, so, so yes, uh, what we've seen over the last few years is uh, the, um, the dominance of uh, market cap weighted index investing uh, uh, alongside the underperformance uh, of value. And those two things, to some extent, uh, go together. I don't want to, to uh, overplay the conflagration um, partly because, of course, the cohort of managers changes through time as well. So managers that have been running poorly performing strategies uh, tend to drop out and, and new managers running the current hot strategy drop in. So don't take any, any predictions from this. But I think as you look at some of the major market indexes, particularly in the US, and we're seeing a small number of technology stocks uh, dominate that market in a way that, that I can't remember in my working life. And that gets back a little bit longer than I care to confess. Uh, so we, we're in a very unusual situation. Being UK-based investors, we're aware that the UK market has typically been quite highly concentrated. And we've tended to look at the US market as being less highly concentrated, whereas now we're seeing that concentration in the US and so you can get exposure, uh, overweight exposure to attractively priced assets, for example, energy companies or some UK banks, uh, without taking very high specific levels of risk. So it's quite an, an appetizing, uh, appetizing rather, situation for active managers. It sounds as if there are, there are some grounds for salvation here, Dan, and that you know perhaps we should just keep the faith a little bit longer. But in this case, I don't think it's a... It's an article of faith. I think it's uh, purely the, the application of logic and behavioural science. You know, as, as you say, we spend so much time uh, doubting what logically we must accept, that if you pay a price that's too high for NASA Plus, uh, then time is against you. And if you pay a price that's too low for NASA Plus, then time is on your side. And I, I think... People uh, forget that because we look backwards uh, and we see uh, the, the recent past performance. And, and again, we're looking back over a period where value is genuinely, genuinely underperformed growth, but we have to really dig into how you find value and how you find growth in that situation. But let's just take it as read that the value is underperformed growth. It's only really in that last couple of years where it's been quite a It's quite a short-term period. Uh, where it's been really painful to focus on valuation. Now, for most people, their investment horizon is a, is a lot longer than that. 
And so, uh, as I say, faith, incredibly important, but uh, this isn't about faith in my mind. It's, it's about trying to overcome uh, the behavioural biases that we all have to wrestle with every day. Uh, rely on the logic that it's better to pay uh, uh, too little for something uh, than too much, uh, and then allow all the, the fashions and the noise around you to just drop into the so, Dan, before we let you go, I'd really like you to try out our new rapid-fire round, mainly because if it goes really badly, I can try and improve it for the next guest. This is terrifying for, for someone uh, like me. <laughs> I like to hedge. If you're ready, we shall start. Excellent. <laughs> so, number one, bull or bear? Bull. Bogle or Buffett? Bogle. Profit or planet? Planet. Divest or engage? Oh, problems, that is a tough one. I'm, I'm going to go with divest. Lower cost or better value? <laughs> Lower cost. Here we go. Super tankers or boutiques? <laughs> I think I need the countdown music. Sorry, it was, it was boutiques. Star managers or team players? Team players. Public or private? Private. High growth or stable income? Stable income. And here's my particular favourite doozy. Socialism or free markets? Oh! Oh, crumbs. Uh, really, one word answer. Right, OK, let's, let's go for free markets. Can, can I just highlight how many incredible inconsistencies there were in my, in my answers, which I could claim was, was nuanced, but we're not going to have time to go into that today. Bonus round. If you can pick a number between 11 and 40. Oh, let's go with 21. Question 21. AI or human intelligence? Well, obviously I'm going to say both, but given the choice, I'm going to go with human intelligence. Uh, so that marks the end of our interview. You have survived the new fund order. Uh, thank you very much, Dan Kemp. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Uh, it's been great to be with you. I'm delighted to be the first guest. I'm looking forward to listening to them all. Thanks, Jimmy. Fantastic. Thanks, Dan. Please don't forget to like and share and subscribe. You know, click the subscribe button. A new podcast every two weeks with a new guest. Stay tuned. Market News. Europol has just reported that Dark Market, the world's largest legal dark web marketplace, has just been taken down. The vendors in the marketplace mainly traded drugs, sold counterfeit money, stolen or counterfeit credit card details, anonymous SIM cards and malware. Meanwhile, the UK FCA issues warning on cryptocurrencies as Bitcoin volatility continues. This is echoing ECB's Christine Lagarde. As billions were stolen in blockchain hacks last year, Tesla hits 800 billion capitalization for the first time and joins the S&P 500 index, while ETF stream the ESG conundrum of admitting Tesla into S&P's ESG indices, given inconsistencies between MSCI and FTSE Russell, Forbes reports that a group of investors worth $2.4 trillion suspect HSBC of greenwashing as it continues to fund coal projects despite pledging to go carbon neutral. As more companies than ever are reporting Amazon as a risk factor in the reports, data provided by Centio. Vanguard passes $7 trillion in assets under management for the first time. And that's the end of the news. So what do you think, listeners? Is value investing dead on arrival? As someone who got into fund research and selection in the late, late 90s, early 2000s, so very much going through the, the dot-com bubble than the subsequent burst, I have to recognise that that hardwired a number of biases towards 
value funds. And I think a number of other fund selectors of my generation are probably predisposed to the same thing. And so we can contrast that with the next generation coming through. What they recall is over 10 years of growth and momentum dominance led ostensibly by big tech. And the power of money is ever present and is gravely to be regarded. Yet in holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. Big thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Brought to you by my sponsor, Allianz Global Investors. And a warm thanks to today's guest. Legally, I am compelled to remind everyone that all views of this podcast are, of course, independent and do not belong to any affiliation or organisation. Just in case that was in any doubt. Tune in for the next podcast every two weeks from The New Fund. Please subscribe, share, like and comment. Let me know what you think and what you'd like covered in future episodes. Until then, stay safe and keep it left field. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind.